Welcome to the Inez Franklin Teaching and Sermons Podcast. Inez is a teaching pastor, public speaker, and founder at trochia.org. Learn more about Inez at www.inezfranklin.com. We hope this teaching brings you guidance, connection, or tools as we seek God together today. Enjoy the teaching. except I have a hard time getting out of bed. Once I get out of bed, though, the morning is glorious. I love it. If I could just kick myself out of bed earlier, you know? So it's so good. How many of you are night night owls? You're like, ah, night. whoa, look at that. Good half here. Time is such an important thing, isn't it? How many of you have a watch on this morning wearing it? Right? Most of us have watches. Um, our time is valuable. All, all the things that we do are kind of like around this idea of time. And, you know, if you ever think about how time came about, how we organize time, I'm a total geek, so I did a little research for us. We're going to talk about time today. Um, and here's what I learned. Your watch, you know, it's uh, organized in the 24 hours or 12 hours twice, however your watch looks. And But the the hour is divided in 60 minutes, the minutes are divided in 60 seconds, and I find out where that came from. Way, way long ago, 3,500 years before Christ, um, the people from Sumeria, uh, which were just in southern Iraq, they designed this system of tracking the sun movement and organizing a sense of time. And what they did is this is called the sexagesimal uh, system. They came up with the number 60, and that's because 60 is an easy number to divide by 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, and 6. And so by dividing it, you get this idea of a quarter of an hour, a half an hour, 20 minutes, this kind of thing. But did you know they don't have computers or watches or anything like that, that they could count to 60 with their hands, just with their two hands. Now, I know you go, well, of course, you go, you know, count, count each number. But no, they actually did a, a form of multiplication. And this is just for extra credit this morning. I'll, I'll show you how it works. Uh, so put on your hands. Take a look at your hands. Um, you know that the four fingers are each divided in three sections. You notice that? So one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve. 10, 11, 12. Mm. Then you take the other hand, and each finger representing 12, 12 times 5 is 60. So this is how they did a little bit of math and thought, hey, this is an easy number to calculate time. Since then, we have had this system of tracking time and although it's obviously organized by people, we are now essentially slaves to time, aren't we? We have to be on time wherever we go. We have to make sure we show up where we're supposed to show up. You know, don't be late. I don't have enough time. Anybody say that like more than once a day? I don't have enough time. I wish I had another day. But what did Jesus say? We cannot add a single hour to our day. Time is valuable. Some say more valuable than money because you can use time to make money but you cannot buy time. Oh, sure, you can pay someone to help you and create a little margin so that you can get more things done, but 24 hours is still 24 hours. So today, I want us to kind of be released from this system of time, as we know it, human time, and I want us to think in terms of God time. And that's what Paul's going to lead us this morning. We're going to think about this idea of a different sense of time 
that ought to give us, I think, more joy in our life. Because, you know, I, my husband says, I'm a little slow getting ready in the morning. I'm the one who shows up late. Anybody with me kind of gets blamed with that all the time. I want a day where that's not an issue. And on God time, that's not an issue. So, sister, we're going to be all right today, all right? Okay, so if you have your Bible, uh, go, if you would, to Ephesians chapter 5. As you know, we've been on this series studying the letter of Ephesians. Wow, what a series. I mean, I feel so blessed to study what God, uh, Paul has been teaching us. And so I'm going to read this over you. If you have your Bibles, you can read it along your phone. Any of those methods work. In church, just put it on airplane mode so you don't get that funny text. All right, here we go. If he says this. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk in wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, Heavenly Father, as we come to you, each of us obviously have made time for you today, to be with you, to hear from you, to learn from you, to gain your perspective, to think as you think, God, to be and do as you are. And so, Lord, I pray that you would um, transform our experience from this earthly experience, from our rational experience, but rather, Lord, would you use our minds, our hearts, our soul, our spirit to be connected to your way of thinking. Father, we have opened up our minds. We've opened up our hearts. Speak to us. Your children are listening. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, we're going to talk about God time. Paul says, if I can turn my page here. Here we go. Be very careful then how you live. Be very careful how you live. Now, Paul says then. Super important that when we look at Scripture and we pull a passage out, we keep it within the context that it was written. When Paul says then, he's referring back to what he has already said. Now, if you've been with us, we've studied this letter to the church in uh, Ephesus. Three chapters of this letter, as we have it organized, tell us about our identity. We learn that God sees you and I as holy saints, blameless because of the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. That when we say yes to Jesus, we are made into a new creation, a masterpiece, right? Created by God beforehand to do good works. You and I are created for that purpose. And then he goes on to say the rest of the letter, chapter 4 and forward, all about how to live out that purpose. And as you remember, we learn that each of us are part of one body, the body of Christ, the church. A church is not a building. It's not an organization. It's people. It's you and I, part of one body under one Lord, under one hope, one baptism, Jesus Christ, right? We learn that we get to put off the old self. We don't have to be the way of the world. We now have a new nature, a nature that is uh, like more and more becoming like Jesus every single day as we seek him. We learn that our way is a way of love, not of hatred, not of judgmental, but of love. 
We are to love one another. We are to love God. And last week, we talked about how we get to be. What a privilege. We get to be the light in the world. In a place of darkness, God uses you and I. Yeah, you and I with our limitations, with our brokenness, and he shines his light in the world. And today, Paul says, do be careful in light of who you are, in light of your purpose, be careful then that you live as wise and not as unwise. Now in scripture, we learn a lot about wisdom and foolishness. Do a little bit of study in your Bible. Do a little search in your Bible app, and you'll find lots of passages that talk about wisdom and foolishness and compare them. And most of those passages are found in Proverbs and Ecclesiastes, both of those written by whom? Solomon. Solomon was the first king of Israel. He asked God, God said, ask me whatever you want. Solomon said, I need wisdom. How do I rule this brand new nation? And God granted Solomon wisdom, the wisest man ever to be born, other than Jesus, which, you know, was all God, all all human. But Solomon was all wise. Was he always wise? No. Sometimes Solomon made some very foolish decisions. So when he tells us the difference between being foolish and being wise, I think we ought to pay attention. So in your outline, I gave you a few, but you'll find that if you look in Proverbs 63 times in Proverbs alone, you'll see passages about wisdom and foolishness. Let me just read a couple. Uh, One from Psalms, actually, Psalm 53. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt and their ways are vile. There's no one who does good. And then in Proverbs 28, 26, it says, those who trust in themselves are fools, but those who walk in wisdom are kept safe. In other words, Fools are not safe. And then in one that I did not give you, but at the beginning of Proverbs, Solomon says this, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. So one thing we see right away as we look at this, the landscape of foolishness being spoken and wisdom being spoken in Scripture is that it's talking about how we view God. A fool says there is no God. A fool does not understand God's ways. But a wise person, a wise person reveres God, honors God for who he is, and and then from there understands God's ways, understands the way God thinks. Now, let me then put that in the words that Paul said. Because you see, the people who heard Paul say this, They were in a context where they would have immediately understood, back from Scripture, this idea of wisdom having to do with not knowledge or applied knowledge or a whole lot of learning, but more having to do with how we view God. Listen to how it would sound. It would be, be careful then how you live. Not as one who does not fear God or revere God, nor understands his ways, but as one who fears God and reveres God and understands his ways. God's time, unlike our time, is on his understanding, at his level, not at our human level. And so Paul is trying to call us to something beyond ourselves, something at the level of God, to understand his ways. So he says then in verse 16, make the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. 
Now, the word behind every opportunity, actually, let me start here, make the most. The word behind make the most is a word in Greek called exagorazo, which means to buy up, to buy all, to redeem, to ransom, to rescue. It's essentially the same thing as purchasing a slave into freedom. Paul says, grab every opportunity, free it up, redeem it for the good. Don't miss any one of them. He says, in every opportunity, he uses a term for time. In Greek, there are two words for time. One is chronos, you get chronology, right? It's that, that time which is done in a particular order, right? It's sequential or kairos. The word Paul uses here is kairos. And that word means opportune time, a particular season, the right moment, right here. And that kairos word is used in the New Testament 86 times. Most of the time when you read scripture and it's talking about opportunities or time, it's talking about this kind of time, God's time. And Paul says, make the most. If chronos is about quantity, which you and I know, there's never enough time in the day, right? You're always like, I don't have enough, I don't have enough. Kairos is about quality. Paul says, make the most, get the most quality of every opportune moment. All the opportunities that you experience, make the most out of them. Go on God time, not on human time. Now, I have a sweet dog named Noel, Black Lab, so cute, but man, does she have a lot of hair. And right now she's, you know, hair, black hair all over our house. Our, our groomer, his name is Luis. It's a little luxury uh, that I give myself. I'll skip a meal because I love when Luis comes over and he grooms Noel and makes her all beautiful. And Luis is an amazing Christian. And one day he showed up at my door. Noel is all bathed. She's looking shocked because she just got all wet. And he gives her to me and he says, Inez, I see you're a very busy woman. Can we talk for a minute? I'm thinking, no, I am busy. And I'm thinking of all the things I have to do, and I still have to take a shower. And I'm like, no. And he goes, well, Inez, we're on God time right now. I want to have a conversation with you on God's time. Now, what do you say to that, right? <laughs> so I, like, put up with it, you know? And so, okay, Luis, what, what do you have? He starts blessing me with words of encouragement. He starts prophesying over me. He starts preaching essentially the God's word over me right there on my front door. And it was the most beautiful experience. I have to tell you, Luis blessed me that day. I mean, it was just amazing. And I did lose track of my day time. That God time, my day would have been 100% different if I had said, no, Luis, I don't have time for this. I would have missed out. That was an opportunity I was given and thank goodness, at that moment, I was wise, and I said yes. And the thing is, you might say, well, I don't know. I don't have that many opportunities come my way. Well, no, you do. Opportunities are before you all the time to be on God's time. The thing about God's time is it's always present. Does God ever rest or do nothing? No. God is at work all the time, everywhere, at once, and it is us that need to plug in to what he's doing. It is us that need to look around, keep our eyes open, watch out where we can join him in his work. And we need to be listening to God to call us into uh, doing 
and, and joining him in these opportunities. So to make it easy for us, I'm going to read for us from Galatians chapter 6. Because if you think I, you don't have opportunities, I'm about to prove you wrong. Listen to what it says. Let us not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, what word is behind that? Kairos. As we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. Is there ever a time when doing good is impossible? Wouldn't you say that any given moment, any second of the day, you can do something that is good? I mean, we can do it right now. We can interrupt the service. Can we do that? Can we be disruptive for a second? You can talk to the person next to you and just, I don't know, give them a smile, give them a hug, give them a test, say, high five, you're the best. I'm so glad you're here. That is going to encourage them. That's a moment of good. Go ahead, be disruptive. Do it. All right, how hard was that? Other than the introverts in the room that were like, ah, I have to talk to someone again. Okay, that is a simple, minuscule act of doing good, encouraging someone else. How many hours of the day can we use to do something even that simply good? 24 hours, aren't we? The thing about it is this. The world is a dark place. There's enough evil, abuse, alcoholism, pornography, violence, racism, you name it. There is so much. There's suicide. There's, there's all kinds of problems in the world. But you and I, we get to wherever we go, we get to do an act of goodness. We get to do something that brings good. We get to be co-creators with God wherever we go. We get to create goodness in the environments where we find out. Whether it's at home, you can change the whole atmosphere of your home. You can change the atmosphere of your work, your neighborhood, your church. So we always have an opportunity to do good. God is constantly working on doing good, and we can join him in that, right? Now look, you just talked to a few people at the church here at Chapel, but let me tell you something. I know a lot of you, and some of you know each other, but I know more of you, and I'm going to tell you, there's some amazing people in this room. We've got doctors and counselors and business people, and we have lawyers, and we have people who have been married 60-some years. We have some young people here. You've got to talk to some of the young people that come to the chapel. They're amazing. They have something to teach us. You have, you have people who are amazing moms, amazing grandparents, people with huge life wisdom, some really fun people, some wise people. Right here in this space, you have Kairos opportunities to meet someone new and join with them to do good. And I want us to have an opportunity to get to know one another so that we can join what God is doing. We can be that body and do good. Make the most of every Kairos God moment and do good, right? You know, sometimes we have those moments where we have like the, the Holy Spirit talking on one side and you know who else on the other side? We get to choose which direction we're going to go. What's the best use of our time? Paul tells us in Romans chapter 8, he says, those who are in the realm of the fresh cannot 
please God. Let me say that again. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. When we take advantage of those God-given opportunities, when we work on God's time and not our earthly human time, we please the Lord because we're joining him on what he's doing. And Paul tells us in Ephesians 5, don't be foolish, understand what the Lord's will is. Understand the way God thinks. Now, you know, when I first became a believer, some of you know my story. I, I be became a believer at 40. I was, I can tell you right now, I was a foolish woman before I became a believer. And as soon as I became a believer and I started to understand some things, I'm like, that's it. I'm going to change the way I live. I want to be a wise person. I want to let go of my foolish ways. And I was determined. I read this passage and was like, oh my goodness, what is the Lord's will? What does that mean? Anybody ever ask a question like that? All right, sister, well, I'll explain it to you because I went geek on it. I studied it big time. And this word here, God's will, it's a word in Greek called thelema. And the word means inclination, disposition, desire. So when we want to know God's will, what are we learning? We're learning his heart. What pleases God? Understand God's heart. Understand what makes God joyful. Understand his preferences. You know, when you, when you have a friend or you get married, you, know, you want to know what, every, what the other person likes so that you can please them. What pleases God that you and I, that you and I take every opportunity seriously to do good. And that pleases the Lord. We don't earn anything with that. We just get to bless and bring joy to God. And you know what's awesome? We get joy too. Wouldn't you agree? Anytime you make the right choice, it always feels good. Have you ever been in a situation where you're, you're about to type that email and you're telling that person everything you want to tell them or you write down the letter or you practice the conversation and it is just nasty and then you go, okay, maybe I won't do that. I'll think of maybe saying something nice or nothing at all. That's always a good choice sometimes. You just, just zip it. Don't say a thing. And you try to decide what to do, and you ultimately decide, you know what? I'm not going to say anything. I'm just going to let that go. Or I'm going to say something, but I'm going to find a way to say it kindly. And you follow through. It does not not feel better. It doesn't matter how the other person responds. They may not get it. They might be even be meaner. But you've done the right thing. You've made the choice to bring good into a difficult situation. That always pleases the Lord. And Paul says, don't be foolish. Figure out what pleases the Lord. Join that. It's not just because God, that doesn't need that from us, but God rejoices in it and we are blessed in the process. Another example in 1 Peter 2.15, uh, Peter says this, it is God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. By our doing good, we get to silence, we get to shut down the evil that happens in the world, the evil that happens in our home, the evil that happens in our community. We get to be the ones to change the direction. Mind you, it may be a little bit, or you may feel like you're not changing anything at all, but make no mistake, every time we choose to do good, creation changes. We are created in God's image. We are co-creators. We bring goodness into the world, and the world changes. We may not see it at the moment, but I'm telling you, it does. Would you agree with that? Okay, good. Pleasing Jesus. Jesus says, whoever does the will of, is my brother, the will of God is my brother and sister 
and mother. Jesus says, you are now behaving like my sibling when you do as I do. We're, we're, this is how I am. This is how you are. There we go. Now we're acting like a family. We're doing good. And then Paul in 1 Thessalonians says, give thanks in all circumstances. Again, for this is God's will, God's desire for you to be thankful. And we are thankful when we choose to do the right thing. Gratitude and joy immediately fills our heart. When we choose to do good, when we join in whatever God is doing, when we capture, when we lay hold of, when we actually move in those instances where we have an opportunity to do the right thing, isn't our heart filled with gratitude and joy? And we can be thankful. So when Paul says, be thankful in all circumstances, we always look for a chance to do something that's good. And lastly, Paul says, don't get drunk on wine. That leads to debauchery, which is excessive extravagance, which essentially take you down. This is like the prodigal son who took all his money and went and blew it, and his life was a mess. He was cleaning pigsty, and he finally realized, boy, I was a fool. I need to go back to my father and start all over again. Paul says, don't be like that. Don't be like that. Don't get drunk on wine. You know, I'm not much of a wine drinker. I'll have a glass of wine here or there, but I have, like, no tolerance for wine. I have a little sip of wine, and I'm already, like, toasted. And I start saying things I shouldn't say, so I, I, I just avoid it because it's just not good for me, you know? And so, and here's the thing. Some of you can tolerate it better, but sooner or later, what does wine do? do? It starts to diminish our abilities to self-control. All of a sudden, we start saying things we know we shouldn't be saying. Talking about things we shouldn't be doing. We do things that we let it go. Whoa, where did that come from? We are influenced, right? Paul uses this example because you and I totally understand this. Anything that influences our minds is going to change the way we behave. He says, be filled by the Spirit instead. Let the Spirit control you. If you're going to be the, under the influence of either wine or the Spirit, I can guarantee you the Spirit is a better way to go. Because, you know, if you're, again, in that situation, you've got that nice little, like, some people say, i got my little angel here, the Holy Spirit, however you want to picture it, the good guy, the bad guy, the good monster, the, whatever. But you've got the good monster going, be nice, just be nice, just smile, be nice. You know, and oh, here you're going, no, I'm not. I tried last week. That did not work. I'm done with that. You know, and you're having this little battle. And you've had that battle. And I'm sure your battle has been even worse. You know, the, the conversation might be even worse. I've had some of those too. Like, I just want to like, no, no, don't do that. Don't do that. It's not good. But when you have those moments, you get to choose. You get to choose. You have a kairos moment to be influenced by the Spirit. You get to let, let the Spirit. When you drink wine, you Give yourself up to wine to be influenced. And it doesn't bother you at all. Give yourself to be influenced by the Spirit. I can guarantee you the right thing will happen. I remember once I was in an argument with my husband, and I wasn't too happy with him. The Spirit said, go apologize. I'm like, no way. I'm Puerto Rican. I'm not doing that. But when I did, when I did, our situation changed dramatically. Be filled with the Spirit. And that brings songs. You know, Paul uses all this language. Sing, make music from your heart. When you do this, you're speaking in psalms and hymns. I mean, it's like this beautiful idea, kumbaya. When we're doing the right thing, we're like this wonderful family. It's joyful. 
Be influenced by the Spirit. Take advantage of every opportunity. Seize it. Seize every second of the day. If you need your watch to remind you of that, seize every opportunity, not as human time, but as God's time, and use it to do good. Now, as your pastor, my, my heart for you and for me is that we would do that all the time, that that's who we are, that that's how we're known as people who, who are constantly looking for ways, looking for opportunities to join God at what he's doing. So a couple of times a year, we purposely create this experience, the patio party with a purpose. See if you can say that. Patio party with a purpose. Say it fast. Patio party with a purpose. <laughs> but the whole point of this party is for us to not only gather and get to know one another and find the treasure of people that are in this place, but also to learn about what God is up to. And as Mariner's Church, we're always looking for ways in which we can partner with other people in what they're doing with God, because we get a bigger picture and understanding of God. And today, I've invited our partners from Sri Lanka. So I'm going to invite Sarah and Sharish to come up. Let's welcome them. And uh, you notice our patio looks a little different. We, you know, you can't go to Sri Lanka, so we brought Sri Lanka to you. Uh, but let me tell you how I met uh, this partnership. Uh, years ago, I went to Kenya for a conference, and there I met uh, Pastor Adrian DeVisser and his son, Prashant. And we were having lunch at one point, and Prashant was talking about how he's writing his book, and he needed to have um, time away to finish the book, time away from his work. And I said, well, if you're ever in the U.S., and you need a place to retreat to write your book, come stay with us. We have a bedroom in our home. You can just hang out with us. Well, he took us. He said, Sure. And a few months later, I get a call, hey, I'm coming. All right. So we opened up the room, and he stayed with us, and he wrote his book about uh, reconciliation, I mean, an amazing study. And while he was in our home, he completely blessed us, because every morning, Prashant has the most powerful, beautiful voice. Every morning, he would wake up worshiping. We could hear him all over the house. And our house was truly blessed by his presence. And then as soon as he was going back with his manuscript, uh, his sister, Thelini, was being uh, brought here to the U.S. to work here at Mariner's Church in an internship. And so she stayed with us for a year and a half. I learned that uh, in Sri Lanka, avocados are a dessert. They're not part of your salad. So every time I would cut it and put it in the salad, they looked at me like, you're just crazy. Why do you do that? And our house was filled with the aromas of Sri Lankan food, which I can attest is fantastic curries and all kinds of yummy flavors, and we just got to really build beautiful relationship with one another, uh, to the point where Jim and I went uh, to Sri Lanka, and they hosted us in their home, and we got to just hang out with them. We went on vacation with them in Sri Lanka, and so for Jim and I, this is a personal ministry, a personal relationship, so I want to give Sarah and Sharish a chance to tell you a little bit more about what they do, so first introduce yourself. <laughs> Hi, my name is Sarah. I am a Asia director. I'm the Asia director here, working with the Global Outreach. So essentially, I partner, uh, I oversee partnership for China, India, Sri Lanka, and also international students ministry. Hi, I am Sharish, and I am a volunteer. I um, have been part of, in some way or the other, involved with uh, Sri Lanka ministry for the last uh, four years, awesome. five. <laughs> So, Sarah, tell us how this partnership started. Because obviously, when I met them, they were already partners with Mariners. How did this start? 
Well, the partnership started with seeing the opportunity that God was presenting uh, through a tsunami of 2004 that happened in, in that region. So part group of mariners sought the sought the opportunity, seized the opportunity, and that's how we began the relationship as we went back, um, as they asked us to come back in a different time and, and for us to continue that relational um, family building. And then when their civil war ended in 2009, that also led to another opportunity for us to continue building that relationship to walk alongside them as their prayer partner, and not only as a financial partner, but prayer partner and human resource partner to come alongside, be a family by saying, hey, we're with you as you, you rebuild the church that God has called you to lead. Wonderful. So 14 years. Anybody ever heard of the Sri Lanka ministry before? Let me see how many of you knew. 14-year relationship. You know now. Okay. All right. Sharice, tell us a little bit about um, the Visser family and what you learned from them. So I met them for the first time when I went with a small group of people from our church uh, to Sri Lanka in 2013. From the very get-go, they made me feel like uh, I was their immediate family. I've learned a lot of things about love from them. Um, that family knows how to do relationship. Mm -hmm. But what struck me most and impacted me most has been where that the heart of that where it comes from. Once I asked him, he does a lot of evangelism across Asia in that region. And I asked him, why do you think what Western missionaries for hundreds of years have not been able to do? Why do you think your hope is any different from them? And he pointed me to John 1.14 in NIV. He said that's, that verse is Jesus' charter from his father. And it talks about his equipment. It says, full of grace and truth. His point was, Jesus' operating principle comes in that order. Grace first and then truth. That's, that's how it is supposed to be. What he was trying to say was, he expanded on it further. He said, humans are made in God's image. All of us, irrespective of where they come from, what their background is. Human dignity is God's dignity. And that has to be preserved at any cost. Anytime human dignity is attacked, that is attack on Christ's dignity. Mm -hmm. And you, we can see how he lives that. It's not, not just talk. They have a farm. They have built house for uh, orphans, widows, and elderly people. And when you go there... Usually when you go to a place like that, you have, a, you have a, an internal conflict. You feel, am I being a superior there? Am I presenting that? But in that environment, you, you see how everybody there who lives there, they, they have a sense of ownership. They, there's a sense that their dignity is preserved. His evangelism work in, um, across Asia, um, the way he goes, preaches around... Uh, so many countries, uh, the names are, I can't just keep listing the names, but he, he worked hard to contextualize theology for those countries. The idea that Christ does not have to come with the baggage of culture. Say that again. Christ does not have to come with baggage of culture because mm. Christ is strong enough to have an encounter with people 
in the dignity of the cultural identity he gave them. Awesome. And that, wow. as you said, sold me. Wow. Sold you. That, yes. Wow. So, Sarah, um, what does our partnership look like today? What are, what are we doing with them? Where, where are we headed in that partnership? Yeah, because our partnership is based on relationship, it's essentially seizing the opportunity that our partner is asking us to come alongside them. So right now, what it looks like for you is you, you do have this little Sri Lanka country card you got on your way in here. So there's three buckets, pray, give, go, obviously in that sense. But we're inv inviting you to pray with us for our partners as they are preparing for their family camp this September. And if God is moving you to take the next step of writing a check to donate to that, that effort, that is as well. And if God is also calling you to possibly join in with the ministry team or even to um, go to Faith Adventure possibly in January, that's the ways. And my invitation for you is that see this as your opportunity to show up to our Sri Lankan family as yeah. we are their American family. So when they are here and they will be coming in October to just be joined in with the ministry as we would host them in, for different dinners. Um, and then if you have heart for shopping, you know, if you're passionate about shopping and mm -hmm. want to go with them on I shopping know one street, of you too, Leo. Um, I think a few do. <laughs> you know, and just that's the relationship because that's essentially I call Pastor Adrian and Ophelia uncle and auntie. And I've known them only for a year like professionally as, as well as relationally, but that's how we are because they are a family and we get to show up how they ask us to. Wonderful. Thank you. Thank you. Can we thank them for sharing? <laughs> now, listen, I get it. You might go, ah, Lanka, not interested, not my thing. And that's okay. I just wanted you to see an example of the many opportunities that we have here at Mariner's Church for you to join God in what he's doing. But if you are pulled or, or you're interested in more, both Sarah and Sharish will be out in the patio uh, after the service, and they'll, they'll be available to answer any questions you have and, and help you uh, get more involved. Uh, here's the thing. Now is the time to take advantage of God's time. It's now. In every moment of the day, it's a God moment with an opportunity for us to act. And so as we respond to what God is uh, telling us today, every Sunday here at the chapel, we take a time to hear from God. And I pray that you would use this time to reflect on what you heard, to ask God to help you to be on his timeline and not on your timeline, not in, in human timeline, and that he would lead you into whatever opportunities might come before you. We come to the table of communion, the table where we are reminded that Jesus came at the opportune time to do the most important task, which was to save you and I from sin, to give us a chance to have a perfect and good relationship with our Creator, and then to be used by God to do good works. And so it's a place where we just get to come humbly with gratitude to remember the work that Jesus did for us. We go to the cross where we confess our sins. No longer are we under condemnation for those sins. No longer are we entrapped in them. We're not slave to them. Rather, we are free because of what Jesus did. And so we can write those out kind of in a form of prayer saying, God, I'm going to give this to you. I need your help with it. Help me let go. Help me find a new way. Let me not be foolish. Let me be wise with you. We light candles as a beautiful expression of hope and a reminder that we are the light. Our elder and his wife are right here in the front. 
we have prayer team around the room. Another way in which we gather together to hear God's voice, to have a dialogue with the Lord. And lastly, the offering boxes along the back. Because every good thing, every good thing that we have comes from the hand of God, including our provision. And when we give back from that provision, when we peel it out of our pockets, and usually the first time is the hardest time to do it because you don't know. You don't know what you're missing until you do it. And once you do give, you will see that your heart begins to change ever so slowly, sometimes immediately. You sense a sense of dependence on a God who is good, loving, and generous with you. So would you stand and would you take this time to respond to what God is saying? And then we're going to come back together. We're going to worship and then we're going to party. So don't leave because we've got some good stuff coming up. But go ahead and have your time with the Lord. Go ahead. Amen, amen. We just stand as we uh, get ready to go. Listen, it is early on purpose. We, we purposely designed the service so that you would get out a few minutes early, not to run home, but to hang out at the patio, have some yummy food that some people brought, and meet someone you've never met. So I want to encourage you today, take a Kairos moment and go meet someone. There's some amazing people here at the chapel, right? Uh, but as you go, let me um, ask you to put your hands out and pray for you. These are words from Numbers chapter 6, the priestly blessing over you. May the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. And I say, may the Lord grant you more Kairos time. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Go in God's grace. We'll see you next week. Thank you again for listening. Make sure to learn more about Inez Franklin at www.inezfranklin.com. You can help share these teachings by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts and sending this episode to a friend. Make sure to follow Inez Franklin on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and more, where she is engaging with the community and inviting us to participate with God and his work together. Thanks again.